Welcome to the King's Church Amersham podcast. For more information and resources, go to www.kca.church. Last few weeks at the Book of Acts. And if you have a Bible this morning or a phone, however you want to look at the scripture, perhaps you'd like to turn to chapter 6 this morning. If you've been reading the book of Acts, as we've encouraged you to do, then you'll notice that there is this tremendous movement within the people of God and the Holy Spirit is at work. And as we witness the church, if you like, bursting forth, we see people that are transformed into these communities that care and pray for each other. We see lives transformed. We see people full of the Spirit. We witness supernatural breakthrough. And it's, it's quite amazing stuff. And it's a great narrative. And as you read the book of Acts, something you can't fail to notice, I'd suggest, is, is as the people move forward with this, this mission, there is increase. As the Spirit changes lives... As it builds these new sort of communities, people are attracted to them. And so there is increase. There is numerical growth. And it's increase or growth that I want to talk to you about for a few moments this morning. To do that, I want to look at the first seven verses of Acts chapter 6. And as we read, you'll notice that actually the first, almost the first words that are used is increase. And at the end, they, they use that same word again. Spirit-produced growth doesn't come, though, without some complications. It brings with it some challenges and demands. And that's what we're going to have a think about this morning a little bit. So let's read together. Acts 6, verses 1 to 7. In those days when the numbers of disciples were increasing, good news, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained. Not so good news. They complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. This is not good at all. So the disciples, the 12, gathered, all the disciples together and said, those moaning what-sits need to be sorted out. No, they didn't say that. It said that it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So they'll just have to put up with it. No, they didn't say that either. They said, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom and we will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicolaus from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So firstly this morning, a little bit of context. This thing about Hellenistic Jews and Hebraic Jews. What's that all about? Well, a bit like now, many Jews at that time weren't actually living within Palestine or living outside of Palestine, outside of Jerusalem. And many lived in a Greek-speaking culture. And essentially, they were the Hellenic Jews described in this passage. But when it got to retirement, the Jewish people, they'd like to go back to their homeland to, to retire and to be buried, actually. And so many of them would return to the land of their fathers, back to Palestine. Many of them would come back, possibly even for the first time, they'd return to their homeland. 
And that seems to be the way of things. Men tend to keel over more than, or earlier than women do. I don't know why that is, but there we are. And so there are a number of widows that are left behind. And this is a real problem. Because at this time, there is no welfare state. Those that are left behind who have become Christians, well, from their communities, they have been excluded. A lot of their support has, been, has drifted away, if you like. And so they need looking after. And it's the church's responsibility to look after them. So there's two groups, same religious background, but two groups existed culturally a bit different. And somehow one group got missed. Something to notice as they work through the challenge is it seems to lead to a new gospel breakthrough. It says in verse 7 that many priests, as they worked through this challenge, many priests came to faith. Now priests up to this point had been one of the hardest groups to, well, most resistant groups, if you like, to the gospel. And it's because essentially it would threaten their existence. If, G- if you say Jesus has done away with the temple, has done away with sacrifices, then you're out of a job if you're a priest, if you accept that. So as a consequence, they were, they were the most resistant. And when they heard the message of the gospel from the apostles, it raised questions. But when they saw the care of the widows, the transformed community that the message produced, it seemed somehow that they were more open to the gospel. And this is important for us to understand, and maybe a quick diversion from the topic here this morning, but when a church like KCA or any other church is involved in social action, we do it primarily because we want to express God's compassion for the poor and those that are in need. But one of the things that God often does with that type of ministry is he uses it to speak to the powerful, to answer some of their questions. And draw attention to what's going on within the church and attract them to the gospel. And what it seems to be implying here is that as, well Luke is implying here anyway, as they sought out the care of the widows, then many priests came to faith. There was increase. We'll come back to that in a minute. And again and again within the book of Acts, we see these statements, this repeated concept of growth of great many, disciples increased great many, greatly. Chapter 9, the church increased in numbers. Chapter 12, the word of God continued to advance and numbers were added again and again and again. Luke stops and says, look, one of the things that happens when the Holy Spirit comes is there is increase. Which is amazing and is great. But of course, if you want a quiet life, if you want things to be all nice and cozy and your church experience to be familiar and pleasant, although well, this might be a little unnerving. And actually, if you want those things, well, you don't really want growth. You certainly don't want large growth. You definitely don't want rapid growth because growth means change and change is challenging. And some of you can nod sagely as I say those things because you can remember a day when even this church was, well, you knew everybody. And you had a familiar seat. And the tots met in a cupboard. (laughs) And the youth met in my office. And it seemed seemed like we worked quite hard back then, right? 
But I want to put that into perspective this morning because, well, this story we've been reading about, the church grew in one day from 120 to 3,000. And they continued to grow rapidly. In chapter 2, it says the Lord continued to add to their number daily those being saved. In Acts 4, it says many heard the message and believed, and the number grew to 5,000 men, which is probably a community of at least 10,000, maybe 15,000. See, kings, actually, we're, we're a bit of a small church. But we've got a lot of potential. A lot of potential. And this message this morning, I have, I guess, in one sense, it's not a cozy one. It's not a nice one. I know, perhaps, oh, let's have a look. Who, who knows where this is? Some of you geeks out there, come on, yeah, Rivendell, well done. Rivendell, well done. Do you remember that this story in Lord of the Rings? Perhaps you're not familiar with Lord of the Rings. There's a lovely narrative. When they get to Rivendell, and the, the, the adventure goes, they've had this huge adventure to actually get to Rivendell. And Frodo says, yesterday I dreamed my task was done. They're, they're meeting, just discussing the next phase. And I could rest here a while, a long while, perhaps, perhaps for good. Perhaps we could just rest here for a while. Perhaps for good. Perhaps this building, this place was for some of you, Rivendell. Let me tell you, it's not the end of the journey. Never was. Never will be. God's called us to more. God wants to do more through you. He wants you to use you in a bigger way. And to do that, we're going to have to cope with some more change. And the demands it brings. And this passage speaks into that. And I want to push into that a little this morning. So, Growth, I guess growth in itself doesn't cause a problem, but it, it does escalate the issues that are already existing. In this passage, we read about an issue between these Grecian widows and the community and the Hebraic widows and their community. And somehow, these Greek ones are being missed out. We're not clear why. We don't know what. We know the cultures communicate differently, and there could have been some miscommunication. There could have been some, I don't know, conflict there. Maybe something was happening. But growth exasperated this issue. If Kings is going to grow, there's no way we're going to avoid issues like this. The questions are, can we resolve them? Can we work through them? Can we now have enough grace in this place to allow growth to continue? No growth is an easy option. It is an easy option. Let me tell you a story, and I've asked permission to tell this story. It's quite funny. Um, Someone was talking to me about them visiting a church recently. And uh, at the time, they were, it was a little while ago actually, they were nine months pregnant. So they went to this church the first time and they, they made their way to a row and they sat down. And um, as they sat down, they were asked, would you mind moving from that seat? Because that's Deirdre's seat. <laughs> no problem. So they moved, they moved a few rows down and then they were asked, actually, you know what? That seat's not really for you. And also, we tried to pass the hymn books out and your bump's in the way. Can you, can you move to a different... In fact, could you go over in the corner over there? And then they got to the end of the service, and it was fine, and they got to the front of the coffee queue, and it was 10p a cup. And they realized they hadn't got their 10p, and they couldn't have their cup of coffee, and they were told, well, maybe if you bring your change next week, 
Now, we can laugh about that, can't we? That's funny, right? And we can be a bit smug, I guess. But how precious are we about our seats, our preferences, our car park space? What if growth meant we had to be here earlier? Or giving up X? Or forgoing Y? Or a second service? For the sake of someone else's faith journey, well, there's a cost. See, any growth we experience is, is absolutely a gift from God. Just as his mercy, his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. In one sense, we've done nothing to warrant it, nothing to earn it. It's a work of his spirit. We see that in Acts more than anything else. If we can understand growth was a work of his spirit. And when growth happens, we can either ride it or we can stifle it. We can hold it. Many churches miss it. Because learning to ride is difficult, it involves change. And most people, if you're anything like me, not that keen on change. So what are some of the challenges in this passage? Let's look at a couple of them. First challenge, I think, we can observe is, we have to learn to, to be responsive and not reactive. How are you when, and how when you get complaints about something you're responsible for? How does, that, how does that feel when you get complaints about something you're responsible for? It's difficult, isn't it? Now, it would be good to find some narrative in the Bible story, wouldn't it, to help us navigate that. So where could you go? Well, you could go to Moses in the wilderness, couldn't you, to the people who moaned in the wilderness because they didn't have enough manna and water because they wanted cucumber sandwiches from Egypt in the middle of the desert. You know what happened to them? The earth opened up and swallowed some of them. Some of them got leprosy. Most of them wandered around for 40 years. So if someone complains, you could go, well, you're just like those people. You're just like those people. Or you could go to a different story. You could go to the story. Remember Moses and his father-in-law comes to him in the desert and says, son-in-law, you're wearing yourself out. You're wearing your people out because everything needs them comes through you and you need to find some extra leaders. And that's what he did. Interestingly, this is what the apostles did in the story that we've been reading this morning in Acts. They went to that story, not the other story. The first story is about being reactive, but the second story is being about responsive. Often when people are upset, they don't, things don't always come out the best way. And it's sometimes expressed a bit harshly or unkindly or painfully. It's not always put in the best terms, which might be something else for us to think about. But in any church or organization for matter that grows quickly, there are things that aren't going to be right the first time and might take a little while to sort out. And if you're aware of those gaps, if you feel those gaps, it's okay to say there's a gap here. We might need to do something about this. But how we share is really, really important. We have to adapt. We have to change. We won't get it right all the first time. But we need to be responding to increase. Second thing, quickly. Growth increase requires us all, well, a level of flexibility or to be flexible. 
Interestingly, the leaders here had to give away responsibility. They had to give it away. Which always sounds like a really good idea until it's something that you're involved in. Perhaps the thing that you like doing. Or perhaps the thing that gives you positive feedback. But sometimes you have to do that to give that away or them away or be open to doing so. Sometimes if you're a group leader and you've got the gift to oversee groups, you might be asked to give up some personal contact in order that you can help others manage personal contact. When you're a senior leader in the church, when the church grows, you can sometimes feel distant because you don't know everyone. It was much easier when the church was smaller. When the church started in the story we're reading in Acts, there were 120 people and they needed a new apostle and they wanted someone who knew Jesus during his earthly ministry and saw him resurrected. And there were two possibilities because they knew everybody. There were just two people, simple. But as we see, it's more difficult when it gets to 300, to 500, 1,000. And you have to find new ways of working this stuff out. And in this instance, they said there was an issue. We need to give some things. We need to give some things we've been doing away. These are the type of people that we need to do this job. They need to be filled with the Spirit. They need to be full of wisdom. Go find them. Somehow other people found them and brought them to the apostles to confirm. It was a new way. It hadn't been done before. A new way, a new process, a new layer, a new level of responsibility And if you're going to be effective and if we're going to grow, we're going to have to do things like that. Another challenge for leaders leaders is when they reach their capacity as things change. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, it talks about leaders who are leaders over thousands, who are leaders over hundreds, and who are leaders over tens. And if you're a person who has a gifting for leading tens, but not hundreds, when the church grows, it feels a little bit like you're moving from the center to the outside, to the edge. But it's not that you're unimportant. It just means that your gifting lies within a particular group size, and we all have our capacity, whether we like that or not. And it's a painful thing when your situation changes and your place in the team changes. But if you want the team to win... To be truly effective, sometimes we have to do that. A few years ago, I was in a group of, um, I was with a group of young, young pastors who were all setting off on their beginning of their journey of leading churches. And all shapes and sizes, 50 to 1,000. One of the guys on the course that was mentoring was this guy, Pete Cornford. And Pete, he was a church planter. This is Pete. And for the last 20 years, he's spent his time gathering 10 or 20 people, building it to 100 people, and then giving it away. Ground Church. Beacon Church. New Community Church. Redeemer Church. Jubilee Church. Pete, he is amazing. He's, a, he's like this, um, he's brave as a lion, this guy. He's a bit, bit strange. Slightly crazy, super sharp, pioneer, entirely aware of his capacity and gifting, which was a painful learning experience for him, but he's full of grace and amazingly flexible. Where am I going with this? Here's the rub. 
if the church at King's is going to continue to grow, things might and will change, and they might change for you. And the demand of growth is flexibility. Last observation, and this is because it's quite a grounded one, really. The apostles in our passage could have said, the problem with the widows needs to be sorted. And we will give all our attention to it. We will sort that. But then they would have had to give up their focus on prayer and the ministry of the word. But wisely, although they knew that this problem was important to sort out, it wasn't important for them to do it. It was important for somebody else to do it. Their priority was prayer and the ministry of the word. What's the takeaway from this? Well, it's critical in changing situations to keep your priorities. It's difficult to do when things change. What about your spiritual life? On a macro level now, what about your spiritual life? How is your relationship with the word and your prayer life? When things are busy, when things are pressed, does that get compromised? It's easy for that to happen, right? Often we have a pattern that works for us for a season and then things change. We can't do our prayer walk in the morning because we can't, we can't get an hour on the train anymore because COVID stopped the commute. Let's be real about it. The challenge of change, to work out a new way of making the word and prayer a priority, it's been a challenge, I think, over this last year. Perhaps you've found new ways. But what's true of the apostles is true of us as individuals. For your church leaders to have a priority on prayer and the word that works out and fits, as individuals we need prayer and the word up front and central in our spiritual lives. Otherwise we can have a lovely large organization and call it church, but it will be largely spiritually ineffective. And you can be, in an individual, you can be serving on every single rotor and have very little impact, spiritual impact, and very little joy in the Lord. Because word and prayer, because they're not been a priority, and they need to be a priority. So delegation, another point on that. These people had to delegate. And the seven that they found, they were known by the people. And they were spirit-filled and full of wisdom. I.e., they were gifted for the task. How would they distribute the funding and resource the widows they were, as they would need to be, properly catered for them? Well, we don't know exactly how they did it, but what we do know is that these folk were obviously gifted to do it, and we see the results in verse 7, as we've said before. When you're appointing people for the task, it seems, of the gospel, to further the gospel, to enable growth, they need to be godly, and they need to be gifted. Sometimes under the pressure of changes, we can appoint people who are gifted but not godly people, and that's a disaster. But also you can do it the other way around. You can appoint godly people who are not gifted, and that's ineffectual, actually. And as leaders are appointed to pray that they are godly and they are gifted, and that the right people are put in the right places as we see, clearly happens in this instance. 
Now, lastly, this morning, I know what happens when I talk about these kind of things, when I talk about numbers and increase. I could be stood here looking like Neo from the Matrix, just numbers, just dropping down, increase more, more, more. Well, numbers are people. And people matter to God. God is concerned with people. And he not only knows the number of people on planet Earth today, he knows the numbers of the head, hairs on their heads. He knows numbers. When he first gave his first command, he said, be fruitful and multiply. When he gave his promise to Abraham, he said, your descendants will grow in number until they're like stars in the sky and sand on the shore. Numbers. When he gives us a vision of heaven, he talks about countless, countless numbers for every tribe, every nation and tongue. God is concerned with numbers because numbers are people. You've never looked, any of you, in the eye of another human being that God doesn't care deeply about. You've never stood next to somebody in the supermarket queue that God doesn't care deeply about. You've never taken a train ride next to. You've never played football against somebody who isn't important to God. Because numbers of people. And God is interested in everyone and he wants them all to hear and all to respond and he uses us to do it. Here's the thing. The vision that we get at the end of the Bible, if you've ever looked, if you've ever read those weird book at the end of the Bible called Revelation, that vision is going to happen. Now, it's not all dependent on you. Don't carry that around. Golly. But we get to be a participant. God will make it happen. The only choice we have is, are we going to participate or are we going to be a spectator? He wants us to do it. He wants us to work with him because there's no greater thrill. Believe me, there's no greater thrill than working with God and his great mission for the world. But you can choose to be a participant or a spectator. And many Christians stand and applaud what God is doing, but are not involved what God is doing. And you get to decide that. You get to choose. However flexible you have to be, however to change you might have to be, do you want to be part of this great adventure with God? Let me remind you of the vision John has set out in Revelation. Then I heard. After this I looked, and therefore before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes 
and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Kings, in the scheme of things, we are, we are a small church. But God has big plans for us. Big plans for you. We've got great potential. Are you going to be a spectator or a participant? Thank you for listening. For further podcasts or information, go to www.kca.church.